You're listening to the Well Women Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's cycle health educator. Together, we're normalizing periods, cracking open real body talk, and femme rising the future. I'm here to remind you that your body is amazing. You can achieve balance, and body confidence all begins with your menstrual cycle. Get ready, beautiful. You're about to learn how to confidently reconnect with your body and discover your unique flow. This is episode 158 of the Well Woman podcast. You are tuning into the episode about herpes. Yep, herpes, everything you need to know. Now, this is a topic that a lot of people don't feel comfortable talking about, but this episode is going to change that for you. Now, on the show today, I'm joined by Adriana Rommel. Now, if you don't know who this lady is, go and check out episode 138 of the podcast. That episode is all about bacterial vaginosis, yeast infections, healing yeast infections, vaginal microbiome, basically yoni health. Now, Adrienne is the Yoni Nutritionist. You can go check her out on Instagram. Her handle is Yoni Nutritionist. Now, I've got her on to talk about the topic of herpes after joining us for that previous episode because this is her jam. I don't want to call it bread and butter, but this is her jam. She's a certified holistic nutritionist and women's health coach, and she helps a wide range of women eliminate symptoms of common and chronic vaginal infections, just like the things we talk about, herpes, HPV, BV, which is bacterial vaginosis, candida, and yeast infections. She's personally struggled with her own vaginal health issues in the past, and she guides us in really understanding them and how we can improve our lifestyle and diet to help create balance with these. So we have a healthy vagina. So in this episode, we are talking about herpes. The things we're covering is we're talking about the difference between BV and yeast infections versus HPV and herpes. We talk about sexually transmitted infections, STIs. We also cover cervical dysplasia, flare-ups of herpes, what we can do around herpes, how we can test for herpes, how we can support ourselves holistically with herpes. And then we talk about how we can actually have herpes conversations. And we wrap it up by looking at herpes in our menstrual cycle. And is there a link between the different phases of our menstrual cycle and when herpes outbreaks may occur? And what if you've had herpes in the past, but you haven't had it since like 10 years or nine years or you know, 20 years ago, is it, do you still have it? Like, what's the go? And do I need to talk about it? Do I need to tell people that I'm sexually interacting with? Well, in this episode, we cover all of it. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode and find it just as educational as I did. Today's episode is brought to you by my five-day Love Your Cycle mini course. Are you new to getting to know your own menstrual cycle? Would you like to understand it in a better way and know how to live as a cyclical woman? Well, this is the simplified self-paced course for you. It teaches you the foundations and fundamentals of your menstrual cycle in under a week. Receive daily educational class videos and audios along with the action steps, a cycle tracking guide, cycle prompts, and my Love Your Cycle 50-page ebook and audiobook. This is your chance to discover everything you wish they had taught you at school about your cycle, how to eat, how to move, honoring your emotions, and identifying PMS and cycle science before they arise. It's now your turn to join over 500 women from all over the world who have taken this course to reclaim and reconnect with their bodies. And you can do this too in under a week for less than a fancy vegan burger. To learn more, visit wellsome.com forward slash shop. And to thank you for being a listener of the show, use the code CYCLELOVE to save 20% off. Adrienne, welcome back to the Well Woman podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you back. We have already had you on the show. And for those who do not know this, I highly recommend you go and check out episode 138. It's all about bacterial vaginosis and yeast infections with yourself. So thank you so much for coming back because that episode definitely had a lot of people talking about thrush and yeast infections and what is BV and how can we help support all this stuff? And I thought we have to have you back to talk about more topics. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me back. I always love talking about this stuff. And I love how well we get along. Like I always feel that I always meet the right guests at the right time. And we always have such a good rant about things. So thank you. Now, before we jump into it, um, tell us what day of your menstrual cycle are you on and how are you checking in in this moment today? I'm on day one of my cycle and checking in in this moment, I'm feeling I'm in Canada right now. So it's really, really cold here. <laughs> we're in the dead of winter 
Um, but I'm feeling really optimistic because I'm coming back to Bali soon. So I'm, I have something to look forward to. Mm, we were just talking about that before we hit record <laughs> that I'm living in the heat of summer and I'm literally dripping in sweat while you're sitting there and it's like negative freezing. Um, and the fact that you can go to Bali, I'm a little bit jealous of, so I'm very excited for you. So enjoy that beautiful feminine energy of the, the land of Bali. Now, for those who have never met you before or haven't listened to episode 138, even though I'm like saying, go and listen to that first, (laughs) quick run through, who are you and what is it that you do before we talk about all these things to do with herpes and HPV and testing and all that stuff? Oh, my favorite. Okay. Hi, everybody. So I'm Adrian. I'm the Yoni nutritionist and I am a holistic nutritionist and women's health coach. And I specialize in holistic nutrition and wellness for women's sexual health, specifically around the chronic vaginal yeast infections that are very common and that many women struggle with like yeast infections, bacterial vaginosis, HPV, and herpes and UTIs. And I am a very passionate STI advocate. Um, out here trying to educate people about STIs because they are so common, especially genital herpes and HPV. And there's a lot of shame and stigma around these still. So I'm finding that a lot of this shame and stigma just comes from the lack of education that we all had with STIs. So I'm out here trying to educate people and spread awareness, pun intended, uh, around STIs to end the shame and stigma with within them and then help empower women in their sexuality who lives with them. I'm just like, I love you and all the <laughs> things you do. Um, and I particularly love this topic so much because it's part of that category of health that's just not openly discussed. It's very much like most people don't really talk about periods or sex or anything to do with sex, anal sex, vaginal sex, like sexual intimacy just is not discussed. And I think because that's never discussed, the things that could arise from those experiences are just not discussed. And so we need more people who are as passionate as you to share on these topics to help normalize them. So thank you so much for doing that and being a crusader breaking the, you know, the current trend and changing that. So thank you. Now, We talked about in our first episode together, BV, for people who are like, what is that? Bacterial vaginosis and yeast infections. Today, we're going to talk about herpes and HPV and all those other little bits and pieces. But what is the difference between BV, yeast infections and herpes and HPV? So how are they actually different things? We'll kick off there and then we'll talk about herpes and what that is. Okay. That's such a good question because So yeast infections and BV are kind of same, same, but different. And then HPV and herpes are kind of same, same, but different. So they kind of go into two groups, each on their own. Bacterial vaginosis and yeast infections are a vaginal infection, vaginal infections that are not sexually transmitted, but they are a bacterial and fungal infection of the vagina. Actually, with yeast infections, you can transmit it back and forth to a partner, but it's not technically classified as an STI, which is a sexually transmitted infection. HPV and herpes, however, are classified as sexually transmitted infections. And the difference between the two is that herpes is a virus of the nervous system, which presents itself on the skin. So it comes out in the form of cold sores either orally or genitally, because an oral cold sore is a form of herpes. A lot of people don't know that. HPV is also a sexually transmitted infection, which is a virus, but it's a virus of the skin. And how it presents itself is like little flat warts. There are about 200 types of HPV, 40 of which are sexually transmitted. And um, the most popular um, types of HPV cause cervical dysplasia, so it's type 16 and 18. It's typically what a lot of women are experiencing is cervical dysplasia. And then there's the genital warts type of HPV, which is HPV number six and 11. But there's also different areas of the body that HPV can infect, which aren't as common, but still can happen, which is in your throat, in your mouth, and in 
your anus because it is a mucous membrane. And that can also happen with herpes as well. It can be spread to the mouth. It can infect the mucous membranes. It could be spread to the anus. It can also be spread to your eyes and to your nose. So those I think are it's... kind of the same, same, but differences. <laughs> now, this is really important to understand. Like if you're new to learning about this is the first thing, the first time you've ever learned about these topics, you could be like, wow, that was like, a few mic drop moments there like just the fact that you mentioned there's 200 different types of HPV now I think that people don't realize that it's an infection well they're both kind of in virus um, viruses which are infections and so naturally they can spread and you know when you said and the anus I was like <laughs> of course because if you're passionate yes. someone then you're like oh I'm gonna and excuse the crudeness. Oh, I'm going to suck, suck their cock and then I'm going to lick their ass and then I'm going to pash them again. Yeah. Now, FYI, this is not a sex podcast, but <laughs> we're talking about this topic, you know, naturally things can spread. And then that's only if you're doing, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, you know, dual to, um, dual to how, dual. Should I, how should I say, <laughs> ex, like sexual connections. But, you know, if you add extra people into the mix and all of a sudden it's a group orgy, anything is possible. So I think that um, understanding all of these things are foundation and fundamental as part of sex ed for everybody, regardless of your age. So let's talk about these things. Firstly, what does HPV stand for? Because some people don't even know that. Yeah, so he, that's true. HPV stands for human papilloma virus. And papilloma translates to small flat warts. So that's how it's classified. Um, so yeah, it really is a skin to skin virus and is spread by skin to skin contact. Okay. And you, I remember you said that there's like 200 different types. So some of these are sexually transmitted and some of them are not. So if I was to see someone with a wart, would it be a HPV or are there different types of warts that are not HPV? It could it could very well be HPV. It's hard to say if it is or if it isn't, because I think there are other warts that aren't yep. HPV, but it can HPV, the other non 40 types that aren't sexually transmitted, the other 160 some odd types can present on your arms, on your legs, on your feet and on your hands. So those yep. could be forms of HPV as well. Interesting. It, yeah, it is the sexually transmitted types, of course, that have the most stigma. And it's the same thing with herpes. It's like people don't stigmatize oral cold sores as much as they do genital herpes because this one on your mouth isn't sexually transmitted, which sometimes it can be, mm -hmm. but the one downstairs is sexually transmitted. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, it's Did so you cheat on me? <laughs> but this is the thing, yeah. like it's, it's all a part of being a sexually active human being. It doesn't mean that you're dirty. It doesn't mean that you're a slut, which if you are, good for you, <laughs> as long as you're being safe. But, you know, it, it doesn't say anything about you as a person or your worth. It really is just the stigma, which stems from a lack of sex education, a lack of awareness, and the fact that it's sexually transmitted and there's still, still, there's still such a stigma around sex, which blows my mind because most of us are having sex. Exactly. It's kind of like, how did they fall pregnant? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> they have sex. I don't, I can't imagine them having sex. Anyway, people do have sex and I think it is important to talk about. So thank you for clarifying what HPV is. Um, I asked that question also for the mild interest, the fact that when I was a lot younger, like, you know, five, six, four year old, I had a wart on my, on my hand and I've never had a wart since, but I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder if that was a, Anyway, moving on. Now, you also mentioned about cervical dysplasia. I don't want to make this episode about cervical dysplasia, but a lot of people don't know what that actually is. And obviously, they're like cervical, cervix, okay, dysplasia. Is that like fucked up, out of place, <laughs> out of whack? What does this mean? So what is cervical dysplasia? <laughs> it's fucked up cells on your cervix. <laughs> no, it's basically... When you go and get a pap smear at your gynecologist, and usually women get a pap smear every year or every couple of years when you get your physical, and that's what they're checking for. They're using this little tool to scrape the cells of your cervix to see if there are any abnormal cell changes present. And if there are, that usually means that it's cervical dysplasia. 
And what that means is that there's a, the HPV virus is active on the top layer of the skin cells of the cervix. So that means there's like these small little wart, like very flat little wart, like cells, bumps. bumps on the, on the skin surface of your cervix. And oftentimes on, in that area, they can be precancerous cellular changes. And if you're not careful and if you don't take really good care of yourself um, and if you're not monitoring it every so often, which is why we go back for regular pap smears, it can potentially develop into cervical cancer. Now that's rare, but in some cases it happens, unfortunately. Yeah. So mm -hmm. when a lot of women get a, an HPV diagnosis, there's a lot loaded on top of that because A, it's an STI that nobody knows about. And B, when as soon as anybody mentions cancer, everybody just freaks out. <laughs> but what? yeah. But cervical dysplasia, when you catch it in time, usually clears on its own within a couple of years. And I know that because that's been my experience with my cervical dysplasia journey. Um, but, you know, just be a lot of people have a real misunderstanding about HPV in the sense where when I say it clears, that means, oh, it's gone and it's gone forever and I'm never going to get it again. That's not true. HPV is an incurable virus, same as herpes. Just because you have the virus in your body doesn't mean it's active all the time, but this is why it's really important to learn how to take care of yourself to manage these viruses so that it doesn't come back and develop into longer term health issues like cancer. Mm. Yeah. And, and even it, um, HPV can present itself as cancer in the anus and in the, the throat. Like you hear some people having anal cancer, vulvar cancers, as well, like on the external areas of the vulva and in, in the back of the throat, it's also caused by the HPV virus. It's rare, but it does happen. It's still possible. Yeah. It's super interesting because with a virus of any kind, let's just focus on herpes. I think it's a little bit more simplistic to understand Yeah, <laughs> is that you can have a herpes flare up, but then herpes, the virus can just lay dormant in your body. And that dormancy is kind of like um, what's a good example, a quiet wolf in a cave that if you keep poking the cave, eventually the wolf's going to be like, ah, is that a good mm. analogy? Yeah. Um, so what are the things that poke it? So if let's just say you've had herpes um, when you were, let's say you're 40 now or you're 30 and you had herpes when you were 19 and you've never had a breakout since, and you're like, I don't have herpes anymore, but you, the virus is still present in some way, shape or form in your body, like hiding in that cave somewhere dormant. What are the things that poke the bejeebas out of the herpes? They're like, oh, I'm going to come back. <laughs> that, is that animated enough? <laughs> That's good. Stress is the number one poker of the herpes for sure. And stress in all kinds of forms, but it's Personally, for me, it's when I'm in a fight or flight, anxiety, panic state, when it has something to do with my home environment. It's really weird because people who live with herpes and when they experience recurring outbreaks can over time identify what the patterns of their triggers are to be able to kind of see, oh, whenever I get into a relationship or whenever I have trouble at home, I'm in a fight with my partner and I'm in a fight with my roommate or something, it always comes up because personally, for me, I had some trouble at home growing up. I feel like this was going off on a tangent, but there are some people who live with herpes who will get an outbreak and not have an issue with it either for the rest of their lives and never have an outbreak again, or just have an outbreak, maybe five years later, maybe 10 years later. And the number one causes and triggers are stress mm -hmm. and a weakened immune system, which is caused by stress, inflammation, <laughs> your diet, if you're out on a weekend partying too much and you're feeling run down and burnt out, if you're like burning on fuel, if you're overworking yourself and you're com coming to a state of almost burnout, that can cause herpes outbreaks as well. Diet is a big trigger too. A lot of people tell me, um, especially, you know, because I'm a, a nutritionist and people are telling me that sugar triggers their outbreaks. If they have a drink of alcohol, it can trigger their outbreaks. If they eat peanut butter, if they eat puff pastry, like everybody is different. It's so weird. 
And I think it's, it's, it just goes to show that what you do for your body and your health is always going to be different to somebody else. I love that just a little reminder all the time because your body's response to say puff pastry versus your body's response to having a sip of wine all links back to your body's stress response state and your body's ability to stay strong in its immune system or have a slightly weakened immune system. So it's all super interesting. And I love that you mentioned much earlier about it's a, you know, a virus that like herpes is a virus of the nervous system and can often be broken out in cold sores is, you know, I've never had a cold sore in my life. So touch, you know, touch wood. I'm really grateful for that. Um, But I had a partner a number of years ago that used to get cold sores semi-regularly. Now I know things you can do nutritionally to help with that, but at the time it was always when there was like a boiling point of stress or a boiling point of like burnout or overworking or, you know, too much training and forcing your body physically into like overdrive. And it's just a sign that like, hang on, the body's like, there's too much of this. Can you just give us a break? And the cold sore is like, give us the break. <laughs> and I guess that, you know, the herpes flare up, like you were saying, when it's being poked at, you know, comes out. Um, now I have a question to ask, but do you have anything else to add to that? Yeah. <laughs> I always say it's, it's not usually, unless it's diet triggered, but it's never really about the herpes. It's always something that's kind of laying underneath. It's like an underlying trauma trigger is what I call it, or a stress trigger. Like for me, for example, I go into fight or flight when I have an unsettling and unsafe home environment. And that's just because of my upbringing and the trauma that I experienced as a child. And it just, whenever I feel that it just gets my nervous system goes into fight or flight and I get those outbreaks in those instances. Um, Oh, there was something else that I was getting. Oh yeah. I was going to also say, and over the years I've lived with genital herpes, both genital herpes and HPV, the cervical dysplasia kind for 20 years. But in my 20 years of living with herpes, particularly, I've really learned how to become friends with, with it and be, and see it as a really great, I call it like the lighthouse of my health, because whenever I get an outbreak, it is like bells my body is like bells and whistles and red sirens and flashing lights are going off to say slow the fuck down you know and that's a really great indication of where my body is at and where my health is at and then i say okay and then i pull back and i take rest and i take really good care of myself i nourish my body with all of the things that i know that i need to nourish it with and i i try not to see it as this horrible thing anymore it's, it's a good indication of my health and what still needs to be healed. I love that. I really love that because anytime with any health, like I think of when you say that my shoulder injury, you know, it was probably nine, eight, nine years ago, I ruptured my shoulder in yoga. Anytime I have a, a flare up of pain in my shoulder, I'm like, oh, going a bit too hard need to balance out my body, stop carrying everything with the right hand, you know, learn to carry it with the left. And it's the same thing, even though it's a completely different situation, it's just a great reminder that they're all just messages and we need to really just continually listen to our body. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, The question that I had, it's on topic, but it does kind of go towards a new topic too, is herpes conversations. Because let's just say you were 19 when you had a breakout of herpes and you're now in your 30s or you're now in your late 20s um, and it's some years on and you've never had another breakout since. When we talk about herpes conversations with someone that you're starting to become sexually active with or you've just started dating and you're wanting to become sexually active with, what is the right rule of process here to be like, so I just need to tell you that (laughs) 11 years ago I had this one herpes breakout in July of 20, whatever. (laughs) And I just want you to know, because I don't want to give it to you. (laughs) What are the rules? Tell us like, um, or what are the considerations to have and how do we have herpes conversations? Oh, this is such a good topic because I have been, personally dating and have been disclosing a lot recently and it's all for my own personal benefit but also for market research mm-hmm. and what I've realized is that uh, there isn't really a black and white rule in disclosing that you have herpes I feel that there is a little bit of a gray area too 
And especially in the instance that you example that you gave, it's like, when it's really not an issue in your life, you had it once before, you've never had it again. Do I need to really disclose it? And it can be really challenging because these conversations are really confrontational. They're really vulnerable. They're really, they, they trigger us a lot, you know, and we're all afraid of rejection because that plays on our self-worth and it just, we can just go on and on about this, but what works for some may not work for others. And I always say you have to do what's right for you and you have to disclose when you are ready. And you, if, if you're not ready to disclose right away, you want to make sure that you are being as safe as possible. But also at the same time, I always think being honest upfront is always a, the best way because a, if it really does put you in a, place of power, even though it's a really vulnerable place to be, to have this conversation, especially if you don't really know somebody that well, it puts you in a place of power because you're, you're speaking your truth and you're standing in your integrity. And you're just saying, Hey, like, this is the way it is. And explaining, you know, whatever situation you have, it's not a, a big deal in my life. I'm managing it. I get them sometimes, whatever you're speaking your truth and you're giving the person the option that you probably wish that you had before getting herpes. And if the person rejects you, well, that person should not be in your life anyways, to be honest. Totally. When I look back at the dudes that I told and they rejected me, I, I should not have been sleeping with them. But you know, if, when the guy, when the person does accept you for it and is okay with it, or at least is willing to learn more if they don't know more, that really shows integrity in their character as well. And it really does build a solid start with a solid foundation of that, totally. whatever relationship it is, whether it be sexual or whatever. So, yeah, <laughs> I think open conversations at the beginning of any encounter, because let's face it, you know, you can have sexual experience with someone that isn't going to be your partner or isn't, you're not dating necessarily. You can, you know, have fun sex with just people, just anyone. <laughs> you can um, have committed sex in a monogamous relationship. And I think if we look at conversations at the start of a relationship or the start of a connection, wouldn't you like to know all the things anyway? So wouldn't you like to know whether that person can't is non-monogamous? Or wouldn't you like to know if that person is monogamous? Or wouldn't you like to know if that person's like, look, I only do open relationships instead of waiting like four weeks down the track, four months down the track, and then being like, well, you could have told me this at the start because I feel, you know, think differently. It's the same thing also. I had a similar experience actually with my my partner B. We met probably like four months after I had my termination. And I didn't realize, but he'd listened to my termination podcast episode, like after we met, you know, because we met on online dating too, and he'd listened to that episode and I didn't know that he'd listened to it. And so it, you know, he asked me a question about like, oh, you've mentioned this a couple of times, you know, can you share a little bit more about what this is? And so I opened up and I told him, you know, I, you know, I had a termination and he didn't realize that it was so soon. He thought it was literally like two or three years ago. And that was like a massive red, red flag for him. He was like, oh, my God, like this is like you, you've got too much shit to deal with in your life right now. And But if I hadn't have told him and been open about it, it would have just been like the pink elephant in the room that no one would have spoken about. And because I opened up about it and then, you know, he asked me questions about it because he was open enough to do so, that actually drew him in closer because he could see how, I don't want to say together I was, but how much I had processed and worked on the journey of that and the healing of it, that he was like, oh, this is someone who's very proactive and I want to be there with this person. But if I hadn't have done that and I had just lumped it on him, like maybe six weeks later would have been maybe a different story. And so I think it's the same thing. It's just about having open conversations in relationships. And when you said standing in your truth, like if this is who you are and you're not willing to show this part of yourself, then you're not ready to be with somebody or you're not ready to like show any other part of yourself. Mm -hmm. That's my thoughts anyway. It's yeah, it's a bit, it's true. And it's a bit of a delicate subject because a lot of people who get these STI diagnoses like HPV and herpes, particularly 
it's a traumatic experience. It's a traumatic diagnosis. And when, you know, we're diagnosed, we often leave the doctor's office with no emotional support, no facts, no information. And then we're just left to fend for ourselves to figure it all out. And it's a lot. It's like, what does this mean for my, my life? What does this mean for my sex life? What does this mean? There's all these questions. And so many people just get, you know, so stuck in those emotions and the stigma and they don't have the confidence going into these conversations. And it, it really is like these disclosure conversations are hard. And I always say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So when you go into these co um, conversations, feeling confident within yourself, feeling confident within your diagnoses, comes it on the receiving end, it's received a lot better than it is if you're coming from a place of fear and shame and stigma. But it does take a lot of work to get to that place. Work, working through those traumas, working through that shame, working through the self-worth stuff, working through all of those feelings that are coming up. And that can take, it can be really easy for some people, but it can be really hard for some people too. I'm interrupting this episode to let you know that today is sponsored by my brand new signature membership program, the Well Woman Academy. Would you love to discover your own menstrual cycle, understand ovulation, master menstruation and live cyclically? Well, your menstrual cycle membership is here. The Well Woman Academy is a monthly membership where together we study menstrual cycles, cycle tracking, cycle rituals, contraception, the feminine, eating and moving through your cycle. Yep, it's the number one place to discover how to end cycle signs and PMS for good. For less than $2 a day each month, you'll access over 150 live self-paced educational classes and cyclical specific learning modules across a wide range of formats, including written, audio, video, and guided home study. Not to mention every membership gives back with the menstrual cups to menstruators in need thanks to our commitment with the COVA project. Join me and women from all over the world inside our private Facebook community and online learning portal as we awaken your cycle, reconnect your body and guide you to live in cyclical harmony. Learn more and join us at www.wellsome.com forward slash academy. If I had a fast forwarded back sorry, fast forwarded, that's forward, Gemma, rewound, like going backwards <laughs> in life to like me when I was 25, if I would not have had this, the confidence in myself to talk openly about a termination experience, like fuck no. Mm -hmm. But I think the more you embrace who you are in all aspects, embrace how you like to eat your food, you embrace how you approach your work, you embrace how you connect with your family, you embrace how you stand in your attire, whatever dress attire you choose. I think the more you do that, the uncomfortable situations become easier because you're more confident in who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I, I think it's kind of like having sex with the light off. This is turning into a sex, like sex <laughs> podcast, but it's kind of like having, oh no, I can only have sex with the light off because you're too afraid to show them who you really are. And I'm like, well, there's a challenge with truth, truthfulness and standing in your own truth. And, oh, my God, I love this topic so much. So, yeah, embrace who you are is what I would say. Do you want to add anything else to that before I ask another question? Yeah, it is. It is true. Embrace who you are. Embrace, you know, your herpes diagnosis. It's hard. It took me 18 years, 18 years to get really good with it and to just be like, I I actually have the power to choose my thoughts over this and to choose the stories that I'm telling myself about this. And like when I, I used to live in Bali in 2019, actually, and I was kind of, that's when I was still going through some of the stigma. And I, when I look back at those, that time and how I didn't put myself out there to date because I was too afraid of being rejected. I didn't have these wonderful ex potential experiences that I could have had with amazing people because I was so afraid. I wish that I could get that time in my life back. You know, <laughs> I wish I could take back the energy that I spent worrying and obsessing about this when, you know, sometimes I disclose and people are like, okay. And, you know, it's just like, we make it to be such a huge deal in our minds when it really isn't. And um, when you go into these conversations with confidence, but also not having any kind of expectation of any kind of result, but also being okay with you, with how you are, like you were saying, it's just like, well, okay, next. 
because there will be somebody else that will accept me for this. Totally. And they, they will be, you will be fully accepted when you fully accept yourself. I think that's yeah. like the cliche, the cliche in it. Quick, oh write that God. down. Use that. Yeah. Is that on a post? <laughs> <And> Gemma said, <laughs> but like <laughs> when you fully accept, you know, yourself, people will be able to fully accept you. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, all these, you know, things that we've shared around the experience of conversations with anything, it really comes back to being open and something that I think that is a really great stage and maybe a step at having these conversations, having these kind of conversations in a sexual experience. I always encourage my clients to like, well, why don't you just start communicating when you're fertile and when you're not fertile? You know, I do this with my partner. We're in like a committed, monogamous, loving relationship. I'm like, hey, babe, just letting you know I'm in my fertile phase. Just so that he's like, okay, I need to have like game face on and like be really prepared <laughs> because, you know, like I've already had an unplanned pregnancy. We don't want to do that again. And so I think that it's really important that if you can just start with little things in those sexual experiences, like so that could be, hey, just letting you know, I'm really excited to connect with you sexually, but I'm actually in my fertile phase. There's nothing that has to change necessarily. I just want you to know. So I think that would help give confidence in having conversations in those experiences that when it comes to a little bit more of an awkward conversation for whatever that conversation might be for you, like, oh, I don't really like anal, whatever it is. It could be any, any kind of conversation. It doesn't have to be her, please. It will make you feel more confident. And I think a lot of people aren't overly verbal sexually anyway in sexual experience. They're more muted uh, particularly females, that therefore it is harder for us to speak out and mm-hmm. you know share where we are and what's coming up for us. So thank you. Loving this conversation. So moving on, <laughs> sticking to herpes though and HPV, if you are going, oh, my God, do I have herpes? What is this thing? I'm not really sure. Let me ask Dr. Google. Let's spend four hours in a panic attack and let's maybe <laughs> go to a doctor. What are some signs that maybe you do have herpes? And then from there, what would you do? Like, I want to talk a bit about the testing side and how you would find out if you did have herpes and is this a herpes infection or not? So guide us through that process. I know how that heart sinking feeling of if you think you have something and then you Google it. Oh God, it's like the worst. Google is the worst. I I recently, (laughs) sorry, because I love sharing stories. Quick little story. Recently, I actually um, had an experience like this where I had a couple of, um, and it turns out it was just because it was the friction of my swimwear creating a a mild ingrown hair on my pubic Mm. line. But I was like, oh my God, what is this? I didn't wear undies yesterday and I peed at like three different public toilets. Like, (laughs) what the fuck is going on? And and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to apply. 100% 100% local honey to this to help <laughs> ease the process because that kills all infections. And um, yeah, I was like, oh my God, what is this? And I just was like, he came home from the gym that day and I was like, hey, babe, just want to let you know that I've got these. I, I don't know what they are, but I just want to show you. <laughs> but I think having conversations and being aware of it is so important. And that whole, <gasps> what is this feeling is important to know how to manage and what to actually look for and not freak the fuck out. So guide us through that process, please. Well, what's funny about HPV and herpes, and this is where they become a bit of a mystery, is that most often they're asymptomatic. And unless they, unless you're presenting visible symptoms in the form of a cold sore or a, an external genital wart, you don't, most of the time, you don't even know that you have these viruses. And this is the real bitch about these two particular <laughs> viruses is that a lot of people have them, but don't even know it because A, they're asymptomatic and B, they're not part of regular STI panel tests. The tests for herpes and HPV are separate. You have to ask your doctor separately for these specific tests when you get your STI panels done. So, you know, most people who go to get their STI panels done because they want to be sexually responsible don't even know that herpes and HPV aren't included. I wish that the World Health Organization to could come up with some a rule worldwide that would say either test people or have them sign off on a waiver to say I understand that herpes and HPV isn't a part of this test. That's another topic. Anyways, 
You have that found- would actually be a really good thing to do, like have a checkbox of like the simplistic versions that all patients, inverted brackets, patients, would call things versus the coding of it on a on a testing, you know, yeah. shit that you take to the most people just assume that herpes is a part of the test and when they get a negative result they're all clean but they're missing one of the most stigmatized most common at lifelong stis anyways um so this is the thing like most people have herpes one in four h so there's two different types of herpes i don't even think i got a chance to mention this but two different types of herpes hsv1 and hsv2 hsv2 presents itself mostly genitally only hsv2 one sorry hsv1 presents itself in both oral and genital regions so hsv1 is both oral and genital hsv2 is primarily genital i was i gonna say this (laughs) where where was (laughs) i going with this so um a lot of people have herpes these either hsv1 or hsv2 sometimes both but are most of the time asymptomatic, which means the virus isn't active in your body. It's just lying dormant in your nervous system until something like what we talked about earlier triggers it and it comes up. Or unless you specifically ask for a test to get tested for herpes. But a lot of doctors won't test you because there's a lot of false positive results and a lot of false negative results through blood tests. Unless you have an active cold sore present or an active herpes to take a swab to take a swab they often won't test you unless you insist or say that you've been exposed to somebody who has herpes Mm. um so yeah it's a real pain and and a lot of doctors will say and i've heard this from a lot of my clients is that um a lot of doctors just won't test you because of the um psychological impacts because of the stigma is worse than the actual virus itself And it's the same thing with HPV. The way that they test for HPV is by the pap smear, like I was mentioning before. Um, And again, like, unless you know to ask for that separately, there's no way for you to tell that you have have HPV on these STI panel tests. There's also no HPV testing available in men. Oh, this is a good one to talk about. Yeah, and it's really frustrating because the types that cause cervical dysplasia in women, type 16 and 18, men are carrying around the virus asymptomatically. So they don't even know that they have it. They don't have any symptoms and they're passing around HPV like so many, 80%, the CDC says 80% of the world's population or maybe in the the US, but it's a lot, it's a lot. There's a lot of people who are living with HPV and a lot of people who are living with herpes. Oh yeah, this is where I was going with this. One in four people live with HSV-1, which is the oral and genital one, and one in six people live with HSV-2. Okay. And these are people who know that they have it, but there's a lot more people walking around with it asymptomatically who don't know. All right, so one is oral, two is genital. One is oral and genital. Okay, And, and two? Two is just genital. Okay. So Um, HSV-1 is the cold sore typically found on your lip. That can be from when you, you know, you're a kid and you're kissing your parents. Lots of kids get cold sores in that way. Obviously it's not sexually transmitted, but what happens if you get cold sores and you go down on somebody, you can transfer it to their genitals and that ends up results in genital herpes. And so then the person now who has genital herpes because it's sexually transmitted now has to deal with all the stigma and things. And a lot of people aren't, don't even know this. Like they don't know that a cold sore can be passed on to somebody's genitals, even when it's not in an active outbreak situation. If if you have a weakened, a suppressed immune system and your, your body can shed the cells of the virus and you can transmit it asymptomatically. So, and this is why disclosure is so important and sharing and having that conversation, right? And I just want to talk about what the what you were sharing before about the doctor or going to any doctor, that is, um, for that matter, is I always say to my clients that specific is terrific. So you want to go in with a specific idea of what it is you would like to walk away with. Um, I recently had this experience with a client who's come off the depot shop, a hormonal form of contraception, and the doctor won't 
do wouldn't do any kind of testing to support her. And I said, look, let's let's be specific. So we wrote down questions that she wanted to ask, specifically wrote them down. We wrote down the test to ask for. And the doctor was like, oh, you don't need to get any tests done. And she's like, no, well, I would like to get this, 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 and this done. Can we please, can you help me organize that? And it's not always what you say, it's how you say it. So if you feel unsupported with your doctor, let's work at how you ask for things. And it's not about being a boss bitch, so to speak, and being in charge, but it's like, hey, I'd really like to explore getting these tests done. Is this something that you can provide for me? Mm-hmm. And I can almost guarantee if they can provide it in some way, even if they don't want to, they'll say yes. And so being specific and asking for what you really want is important. So when it comes to testing, if you feel like you have either HPV or herpes or any other kind of sexually transmitted infection or disease, asks for specific questions you know i have been through this experience myself in the past with a partner who was cheating i immediately went to the doctor and i said can you please test me for everything and i got everything because i was like i want this i want this i want this and i want this but if i hadn't said look i just found this out i'm not really sure but i'd like to get tested the testing's not going to be as specific because i'm not as specific so that's just what I wanted to add into that. It's it's a good ad because it really does, you know, you really have to be an advocate for your health and stand up for yourself and for what you want and what you believe in with your health. Because a lot of the times doctors will just kind of either maybe kind of have some kind of avoidance or like resistance to some of the things that you want because they don't think it's necessary, even though you you know that it is. And I feel like, especially with a lot of STIs, some people would rather just not know. They'd rather not deal with it. They'd rather not know and not have to deal with all this stuff that comes up around it. And, um, you know, it it really is. It's just like, well, I don't even, yeah. <laughs> Talk about it, ask about it. Yeah. So, Let's talk about once we have learned that we have herpes and let's um, look at a holistic approach to supporting this. If you have an outbreak of herpes, whether it's oral or genital, how can you holistically actually support this? So what can we do? Yeah. So because herpes is a virus, it depends on the health of your, of your immune system. And because it's a virus of the nervous system, it also depends on the health of your nervous system. And those two things also depend on the health of your gut. And this is why a holistic approach to managing herpes outbreaks and healing herpes outbreaks when you get them is really important because it's about what you eat. It's about the supplements that you're taking and it's about your lifestyle. So making sure you're getting a lot of sleep, making sure you're reducing your stress, doing all the things in your life that's going to help you to calm your nervous system and boost your immune system taking really good care of yourself. Self-love has been like the hugest part of my herpes journey is really prioritizing my self-care. And with your diet too, eating immune-boosting foods, cutting out the crap, trying to minimize things that are going to trigger your nervous system and suppress your immune system, like alcohol and coffee and smoking, Mm -hmm. cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Lifestyle choices. Lifestyle choices as well. And getting yourself on immune boosting, gut supporting supplements, even also nervous system supporting supplements, like some of the adaptogenic herbs that are out there, vitamin C, lysine, B complex, omega-3s, zinc, magnesium, (laughs) essential oils, if that's a part of your um, practice, like lavender oil is really good. And that's my favorite. And just, you know, really slowing down. Because when you're, when you do get an outbreak, that's your body screaming at you that it needs help, that it's, it needs to slow down. So really recognizing that and being like, okay, waving your white flag of surrender (laughs) and say, I listen to you. I'm listening to you. I hear you. I see you. I'm feeling you because you'll feel it. (laughs) It's there. And it really is then just taking those cues and listening to your body and really just trying to take care of it and slow down and prioritize your your care in those moments, in those weeks that you have an outbreak. So important. And it just goes to show that 
most people with a herpes outbreak would just focus on like, let me get the tropical cream from the chemist or the pharmacy and let me just pop that tropical cream on the outbreak that I have that's next to my labia and that should help. But we need to, like you said, it's a virus. And I love just to recap for everyone, immune, nervous and gut. So your immune system, your nervous system and your gut system, gut health, digestive system, three key places that you want to go. So if you're just applying something tropically and you're not addressing any of that, you're missing a really big opportunity is what I would say. So thank you for sharing all of those things. Um, It just goes to show that whatever is going on on the inside is not always exactly what's happening on the outside. So looking at the root cause um, and just the root structure of everything is important. So thank you for that. Yeah. And one more thing is I really, you know, as a holistic nutritionist, I really try to avoid taking medication, but in some in some instances, I really do believe in both a Western medicine and a holistic approach to treating these vaginal infections like yeast infections, BV and herpes, particularly there's no medication to treat HPV, unfortunately, but I always say like, if you healing an outbreak, particularly naturally takes much longer than it would if you were to take the antiviral medication in combination with a holistic approach. So I always say like, it depends on your comfort level with taking medication, but if you really want to blast it, (laughs) if you really want to heal it, you know, taking the medication is always a good idea, but alongside with a holistic approach, like I tried to heal one of my outbreaks once naturally, and it took about a month. And when I take the antivirals, it takes about a week. So I'm like, sign me up. Yeah. You need, you need to explore especially the pressure that your body might be under under at that time too and just have an overall picture of your health and like okay where do I sit with this and what's more important I sit in a similar boat to you where I never use medication like I'm at wit's end like deathbed when I do that um and I've only used medication twice actually no this is a an an ill era of stats three Mm -hmm. times in the last 12 years, I had, and they were all kind of quite close together. I had a UTI, which turned into a chronic kidney infection that Mm. I was supposed to go to the hospital for, but I was like, I ain't doing that. Okay. I'll just take the probiotic. I mean the antibiotic. So I did that, but it just goes to show you can do what Western medicine suggests, but you can also do what Eastern or medicine or holistic medicine or holistic health can also support with. So whilst I was taking my antibiotic, I was taking extra probiotics. And then after I finished the antibiotics, I took an entire probiotic double dose run for seven days. I flushed my system. I added extra liver support. So it's all about finding the balance. Um, And that actually occurred whilst I was pregnant, but didn't realize that I was pregnant at the time. And then I, you know, what was it? Two months later, I had the termination, um, took medication for that because I didn't want any complications because it's an emotional thing already. I didn't want it to be any worse. Um, And then I took some paracetamol whilst I had the Rona earlier this year in 2022. And for me, I, I think I took maybe six tablets of paracetamol in the whole two weeks that I was sick and everything else was super holistic. And I wasn't afraid to take the paracetamol, but I knew where my body's limit was. And so I think the message is find out what your body's limit is and where is your turning point to me? Okay. I I really want to go to this kind of support now and looking at the healing time, like you said, it takes longer when it's more natural because the body has to digest the food or it ha- it's not just going straight to the, the place and just atomic bomb wiping everything out. It's really keeping a healthy system operating whilst creating a healthy environment at the same time. So that's my end of the rant on that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, it um, is. Yeah. It's a bit of a controversy, you know, with medication. I also don't like taking medication, but if I get a herpes outbreak, it's, it's just uncomfortable and I just want it to go away and as fast as possible. So I'm just like, well, in those it's three days, you know, it's really not that long. It takes about a week to go away and you're good. I love it. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm. All right. Now I have two other questions um, before we kind of wrap it up. 
firstly, outbreaks, because we are talking a little bit about a bit about outbreaks. How do outbreaks of herpes and are they at all linked with the menstrual cycle? Because I know oh, yeah. that a lot of people experience more outbreaks of herpes if they're menstrual or menstrual women um, or menstruators, I should say, in that pre menstrual time, that luteal phase of their cycle. So can you share some insights on that? Well, I'm so glad we were going to talk about this because I've been wanting to pick your brain on some of this stuff too, because, you know, in that phase and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's when a lot of things are happening and, and hor- things are changing in the body and hormones are fluctuating and all kinds of things are going on and the body can get stressed and the immune system can get suppressed. And in that case, a lot of women are getting, or people who are bleeding are getting these herpes outbreaks right before they get their periods. Interesting. Yeah. It's very, very common. So I, can you like, can you, um, just kind of, I love it. Interview me. Go. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm like, can you, um, expand on that a little bit with like, why that could what what specific hormonal changes are going on that that would happen because i'm not really from so if we if if we look at and it's so true there's there's two things that go on here we could have the the look at the, the emotional pressure at this time of your cycle so emotionally we feel like we have to get everything done everything has to be finished the weight of the world is on our shoulders And then if you don't have a support system in your life, you feel unsupported, you feel disconnected. It it just is like a ricochet effect that impacts your nervous system naturally. That also impacts your immune system because you're stressed. Um, So that's the first thing I would look at. But when we look at the makeup of the body and the makeup of the menstrual cycle, you've got in this luteal phase, you've got your body's figuring out, am I pregnant? Am I not pregnant? Am I pregnant? Am I not pregnant? So we have a massive rise of progesterone. We have a little peak of estrogen. These hormones now come from a corpus luteum and this corpus luteum wasn't there two weeks ago. (laughs) That corpus luteum was created from the follicle which released the egg at ovulation. And so that corpus luteum is working out whether we're pregnant or we're not pregnant. And then when it discovers that we're not pregnant, all of a sudden it stops producing these hormones, the hormones plummet, and then we move towards releasing our uterine lining, the endometrium lining um, to menstruate. And so there's lots of different things going on. So I like to think of this phase when you look at just the endocrine system, the entire body is kind of like a mother of six kids and the kids have just got home from school and you're trying to like organize everybody. It's like this goes here and that goes there and don't forget to empty your, you know, your lunchbox and put your school bag away and put your dirty washing, you know, in the laundry, don't leave it in your bedroom or hang it, you know, don't leave it in the bathroom. So it's kind of lots of stuff's going on. And if you're not aware of all of these little changes, you can feel pressure you can feel over the top you can feel oh my god i'm just i just need to fucking eat and i'm so hungry and then we eat the pantry empty when really if we just understood okay my body's going through a lot right now i need to feel supported how can i ground myself okay i'm gonna eat grounding foods that will support me is this hunger coming from the fact i feel irritated and frustrated or is actually coming from the fact that i need food so there's lots of factors that kind of come into that. And if you have been pushing, pushing, pushing yourself all month long, or I should say all cycle long, long all cycle length long, so through your menstrual state, menstruation, through your follicular in a spring, through your ovulation in a summer, and you get to this like week, maybe nine days before you your next bleed would arrive, and you get a herpes outbreak, of course your body's going to be like, I need time out it's like your coach <laughs> is like time out ref we just we need a time out and everyone on the bench it's just like <laughs> we just get flatlined a little bit and that's because we actually need to be continually supporting and so i would suggest even though this is me interviewing you but i would suggest <laughs> to clients or anyone who does have herpes if you experience outbreaks in this time of your cycle i would say you need to look at what you're doing in the other three phases of your cycle to better support your autumn phase and then really learn about what happens in your body in autumn you can discover that with natural fertility so that's not to fall pregnant but actually understanding the fertility aspects of your cycle that will help a lot 
um, kind of give you clues about what's going on where, looking at your habits, so cycle tracking, looking at how you eat your food, what foods you want to eat, what's your mood like, where's your emotions at, all of this stuff would actually really support that process. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting too, because I feel like during this phase, you know, when this pressure and stress is happening, that's when we want to reach for the wine and the caffeine and the comfort foods and the naughty foods, not saying that foods are naughty, but like, you know what I mean? The food, I get what you mean. The you sometimes know, foods, the sometimes foods, the, the real treats, you know, because we are just like maxed out and those mm-hmm. things aren't helping either. Like caffeine, alcohol, treats, <laughs> treats above moderation. <laughs> yep. And a lot of you those know. things are just masking the symptoms or the cycle signs. They're, they're, they're masking how you really feel that um, whether that's physically feel or emotionally feel, they're just kind of masking that. And if you think a lot of people in general, like to drink alcohol because they don't really like how they feel. I'm mm-hmm. stressed. I don't like how I feel. Um, I'm emotional. I had an argument with my partner. I don't like how I feel. So you're escaping something. So instead of escaping, just become present and just be really in the moment. I think that's way more important. But for herpes, if you experience this in your cycle, keep tracking and identifying where in your cycle this occurs. What day of your cycle does this occur on? Is it the same every single day of your cycle? Start to gather some data for yourself. And then we can look at, um, this is what I do with one-on-one coaching clients, is then we look at other aspects of the cycle that are actually impacting that main breakout, so to speak. So even though I'm not the herpes expert, I can definitely pinpoint that's coming from here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the same with any cycle sign, whether it's infertility, whether it's you know challenges with, with your digestive system, everything links back to your core sign of health, which is your cycle. And it's funny that it's so interesting that you mentioned grounding because I feel like if we look at the chakras, for example, herpes is a part of the genitals, like especially genital herpes with, and it's associated to our root chakra. And that is the energy around that is like when you're feeling unsafe, unsecure, when you're feeling fearful, when you're not feeling grounded, that's when that root chakra is kind of aggravated. And that's when a lot of the times herpes outbreaks will come up. It's very energetic as well. And that's and why it's like not a coincidence. No, it's not a coincidence. And it's just so interesting, this stuff. Like it really makes sense to me. And I get so excited when I talk about this because it is like when you're looking at it from a holistic approach, it is all about grounding and keeping yourself, making yourself feel secure and safe and grounded. And you can do that in so many ways. Going out in nature, taking nature walks, doing yoga meditation, just taking it really easy, like resting eating warm, grounding, nourishing foods, you know? So important. All of this, all of this is so important. I absolutely love it too. I love (laughs) you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode and being on the show again. I love having you on the show. Um, And we are out of time, but I would like to ask you a final podcast question. I asked you a regular podcast question on our last podcast episode together, but I wanted to ask you um, as an adult who menstruates now, what are some things that you wish that you knew to implement in your life that you hadn't known until recently? I wish I knew about this diff- the four different cycles. The phases I of the wish, cycle? Yes, I wish I knew about the four different phases because growing up, especially in, in North America, like this is not taught to us. Neither, neither here in Australia. <laughs> like I, if... I wish that we learned how to live cyclically because it would just make our lives so much easier. Recently, I was asked to do a, a talk or like a content creation day or something. And I looked at my calendar, I'm like, perfect. I'm going to be ovulating during that time. And they're like, what? I'm like, nothing. Never mind. <laughs> I'm like, you know, when we can learn how to live within our, our cycles, it just is a game changer, especially totally. with, the, with herpes and any other vaginal infection, because not only do a lot of women get herpes outbreaks in that luteal premenstrual phase, but a lot of BV and yeast infections come up then too. It's another whole, we could talk for hours. I feel like we totally, we totally, (laughs) we totally totally could, we totally could, but 
yeah, really important things that, you know, I wish I had have learned too. So thank you so much for sharing. Now I'm going to put all the links in the show notes of how people can connect with you, but please share with us what is your Instagram? Because I know that's where you hang out the most. What's your Instagram handle and tell us how people can find you there. Yeah. My main Instagram is my, it's my main hub of communication and community and it's at Yoni nutritionist. And I also have a website, www.yoninutritionist.com. But most of my, the hub of my communications is at Yoni nutritionist. And check it out. I love your reels, girlfriend. You're like, you're, you're, you're on the reels. I love it. Um, but thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Loved chatting about this topic that definitely needs to be talked about more. So thank you for joining us. And I can't wait for everyone to listen to it. My pleasure. Yeah, this is the stuff doctors don't talk about. And we need to talk more about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to every episode of the Well Women podcast. I trust you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. If you got a lot out of it too, please subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast app. This means together we can inspire, connect, and educate even more women. Now, is there a bestie, a sister, or a friend who you know may be frustrated and confused with their health? Are they ready to discover new aspects of themselves too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode Share it on your social media, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to their ears. So together, we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our bodies. And be sure to tag me in it too. Hashtag Well Women Podcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body, and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle. Bye.